0: years ago, my wife and I decided to take a big adventure for a vacation. And so we saved up some money and we got some, uh, bought some plane tickets for the whole family. Had never done anything like that before. I don't think we've ever done anything like that since. Kind of reminded me of that, though, as the uh, stewardesses came, or stewards came down the aisle here this morning uh, passing out the, the, the drinks. That just got me amused. From my perspective, it kind of looked like we were in an airplane with everybody coming up and down the aisles there with their drink carts. But we went to Washington State. We had a kid who had been in our uh, college program at Notre Dame, and uh, she was in the ROTC and was actually an officer and serving at Whidbey Island out in the Seattle area, and I'd never been out to the Pacific Northwest, and it sounded like a great um, opportunity, so we went out and stayed with her for a couple of weeks in June. The problem was, I didn't realize that June is not a summer month in the Seattle area, it's, uh, very cold and very wet. In fact, that's where I was introduced the first time to the phrase sunbreaks. They would come on the news and say, hey, good news, we're going to see a sunbreak today. And I didn't know what a sunbreak was. Here's what a sunbreak is. You get five minutes of sun respite in the rest of an otherwise dreary, rainy, and cold day. And so we, we went out there and weather wasn't great. And in fact, you can see all of our pictures from that vacation because in every picture, I am wearing the exact same long sleeve t-shirt. Because it's the only thing I took on the trip that was long sleeve. And so I had to wear it every single day. So everybody else has different clothes on except for me. I'm dressed the same every single day. But we finally got a break, more than just the sun break. And we uh, got a day where they're saying it's going to be nice. And uh, the sun's going to be out. And we're like, great. We are going to go do some hiking. And so we hopped in the van and drove out to the Cascade Mountains and, and found a hike that we wanted to take uh, up to Pyramid Lake. It sounded so nice, didn't it? Pyramid Lake, and it like, I think it was like a two, two and a half mile round trip, uh, but we uh, got the kids and want to take this hike, and we got ready to go, and, and Kelly says, hey, you know, it's been a little bit cold out here, and we're hiking up the side of the mountain here, it could get cold, everybody needs a sweatshirt, and so we all got our sweatshirts, and we put our sweatshirts on, and we started hiking, and we had not been hiking, I don't know, a half mile, and we're like... You know baking hot and so we take the sweatshirts off and we put them around our waist But we know we're going higher up the mountain So maybe it'll get cold as we go and as we go, it just gets hotter and hotter and hotter And so there's no need for the sweatshirts whatsoever. We finally get to the uh, pyramid lake And it's like well, like you could put like four of them out in our parking lot It's this little puddle on the side of a mountain with some logs that fell in it and for whatever reason Somebody thought it was a great hike. It wasn't much of a hike But And and the other thing, too, is that little two-and-a-half-mile round trip was like two-and-a-half miles just up there. And so we get up there. We're disappointed in the view. We're carrying these sweatshirts now. We don't even need them. And we discover that only one person had remembered to bring a water bottle. Now, Mom had been all over it that you might need a sweatshirt, but had she ever stopped to think about the fact you might need some water? No. And ever since then... That has been the joke in our family. Anytime somebody's going on a hike or doing anything, I'll say, hey, hey, you got your sweatshirt? Realizing that's really a reminder that, hey, did you take any water with you? Because here's the truth of life. Physical exertion leads to physical dehydration or depletion, right? Anytime we put out physically, it leaves us dry, Now, if you're thinking back to last week, we went through and we had a list in your bulletin. In fact, it's actually on the back of your notes this week, if you want to look at it again. And we said, what are the descriptions? Or we asked this question, how is it with your soul today? And we gave you some options of what your soul might look like. So let me ask that question again. How is it with your soul today? And hopefully this past week you were a little bit more aware of what was going on inside of you. But we gave you those descriptors, but one of the ones that's there, and maybe one of the ones that you picked, was dryness. Now, if you pick something else, don't worry, because we're going to get to it as we go through the course of this series. But we're going to start today with this idea of dryness. Or maybe you picked something like numbness, or um, disengaged, or depleted, or you would say, I just feel flat, or I feel kind of demotivated, or blah. But if your situation is dry, or lifelessness, it's something that we feel in our souls. But we said last week that when we feel something in our souls, it's not necessarily just what we feel, it's what it's telling us. So our feelings actually take us back to a cause. So what is it that's causing us to feel this way? And then what can we do to rectify and to remedy the situation? So the question is, what is it that's causing me to feel dry, and what can I do to rectify and fix the situation? And let me just you know, destroy the suspense at the beginning of the message. It's simple, okay? The, the cause is spiritual dehydration, and the treatment, the remedy is going to be spiritual hydration. But for me to say that, I don't think is probably super helpful to you. So let's take it a step further and say, okay, I am in that situation where I just feel that way, where it's like, like, like I'm just kind of like, ugh, in life. Uh, I'm just kind of getting by, and and uh, but nothing has any color to it, or nothing has any um, vibrancy to it, or nothing has any even texture or flavor to it. And let's see if we can unpack this a little bit and 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 get some help for us as we deal with this soul condition. And I want to do this by looking at two men in the Bible. Two men are very familiar to you. The first one's named Adam, and the second one's named Jesus. You've probably heard of both of them. One of them is a great example of spiritual hydration, and one of them's an example of spiritual dehydration. But just to mess with you a little bit, it's not what you think. It's actually the opposite of what you think. As we see Adam in our story, he's the example of spiritual hydration. And as we see Jesus in the story, we see him as this example of spiritual dehydration. Now that may tell you something, though. The fact that if you find yourself in this condition doesn't mean that that's wrong. Okay, You can hold that thought. But let's jump in here with Adam, and let's just see if we can learn a little bit from what his story was, it might be helpful to us. So if you want, we're going to be in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. I'm just going to hit several passages here real quickly. And if you want to follow along with the Bible that's in front of you or, or use your um, your uh, device to get there. Here's a few points that I think will be helpful. To us. First of all, man, oops, man was created as a whole person with many parts, but all of those parts come together to make man one. And each one of those parts Is very, very necessary. Isn't it great that you have water this morning? So if you're thirsty halfway through the message, you can just help yourself. It's awesome, isn't it? We should do this every week. Okay. But man is many parts. He is a physical part, right? We see this Genesis 2-7. The Lord God formed from the dust of the ground... And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. He is a physical being. When it talks about the creation of Eve, she was taken out of the man from the side of man. He was a physical being. Man is also a relational being. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Genesis 2.24, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Man is relational, and God says, okay, there's this relationship with man and God, but He puts woman there to have a relationship with, and so man is relational. Genesis 2.25, the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. They felt no shame. They have feelings. Man is emotional by nature. Man is also rational. In Genesis 2.16, the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from any or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. But he's giving man this instruction, and man's going to have to think through and reason and process whether or not he's going to follow it. So man is a rational creature. Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we see that man is a sexual creature. And then in Genesis 1.26, God says, let us make man in our image. And of course, God is a spirit. And so man is spiritual. Genesis 2.7, God breathed in man the breath of life, but that came from God himself. And so that's spiritual as well. And so we see that man is a whole, but he's a whole that's made up of all of these parts. Now, two things. First of all, all of these parts are interconnected. We are not just physical, relational, emotional. We're those things all together, and they come into play, and they link together. And so they're interconnected, but they're also interdependent. So we lean physically on our emotions sometimes, and our emotions sometimes lean on our thinking, and all of that may lean on our spiritual. And we see this in our lives, that we are completely interconnected. My daughter Lindsay studied abroad last semester in Africa and I went and picked her up just a few, uh, days before Christmas and I met her at the airport and she came running out of the airplane and she put her arms around me and hugged me and she said to me, Dad, I did it. Just because she had, you know, gone off on this great adventure. But then she just started bawling. And she's like, I don't know why I'm crying. And it wasn't because she was sad to see me, I don't think. Thank you for that laughter. Great, okay. And it wasn't because necessarily she was sad to be back or whatever like that. It was because she had just been traveling basically for 24 hours, and the 24 hours before that she had been in a debrief. I don't think the girl had slept like in over 48 hours, and her physical system was out of gas, and order to show up, and show it showed up in her emotional system because they're all interconnected and interrelated, and that's a really important part as we go on here. Because when we feel dryness in life, it can be happening from a lot of different directions. We're talking about it in the spiritual, but it could be physical, or it could be emotional, or it could be even relational that is contributing to the soul dryness that we're experiencing. Secondly here, man was created with human limitations. In uh, Man was created with limitations. Think about this. He was made with a body and put in a garden to live. And immediately he had space limitations, right? He could only be one place at one time since he had a body. And that place that he was was in the garden. And when I said at one time, man was also created in a time sequence, and so he had limitations that way. He had mental limitations. Genesis three five, The serpent says that to Adam what? Hey, if you eat this fruit, you'll be, you'll be able to think like God, but you don't yet. And you don't ever. But we have, man has mental limitations. He also had limitations in that he had to eat. The whole temptation took place surrounding what? A piece of food. But why was the piece of food such a big deal? It was because... Adam in his limitations had to eat to be replenished. He also had to sleep. That's, you know, Eve arrived on the scene when he went to sleep one day. But man was made with limitations. And what happens is when we push up to the end of our limitations, we run out of gas or we run out of fuel and we have to go back and we have to replenish somehow. So physically, at the end of the day, we run out of energy, so we go back and we sleep to recover. Or we physically, we get hungry, so we go back to the table. Or physically, we get thirsty, and we go back to the source of water to replenish. But what happens a lot of times is spiritually, or in our souls, we'll get thirsty, but we don't do anything about it. And yet, as we look at all of these systems that are we're made of, we should know that if this system works this way, the other systems are interconnected are going to work along the same principles. Third idea here from Adam man was created with a thirst mechanism. And we are created, and you know this, we are created when we get low on hydration, we get thirsty. Generally speaking, right? And the more low we get, the more thirsty we get. So when you hike up the Pyramid Lakes with your sweatshirts on, just so you can sweat just a little bit more, and you get thirsty, you're looking for that water bottle because you feel that way. And so we feel it physically, but I also think we feel it emotionally and sometimes relationally and even spiritually in our our souls. But we're not as tuned into it. We don't always connect with the fact that I feel this way. Oh, I am thirsty. That's my problem. So I'm feeling dry, or I'm feeling dead, or I'm feeling numb, or I'm feeling lifeless. Why do you feel that way? That is the spiritual thirst mechanism that might be kicking in. Well, thirst, obviously, is not just a physical dynamic. And I say that because... It's maybe not a spiritual dynamic, but it provides a great metaphor spiritually. And where our souls may not desire water, they do desire some type of spiritual hydration. And that takes us to our second person here, and that's Jesus. And so we're going to look at a story from Jesus from Mark chapter 1, and I want to read this story. This is what shows up on your, your notes if you're using the U version there. Mark 1.21, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, that's important to keep in mind there, this is the Sabbath day, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he caught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. But just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with this Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were amazed and they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching? What authority? He gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. So this is Sabbath morning. Jesus goes in the synagogue. He speaks, which takes something out of you, doesn't it? And for me, like at the end of the day here, I'm a little bit worn down from standing up here and speaking. So he speaks, but then in the midst of it, he has this confrontation. So there's an emotional conflict, too, that Jesus had to deal with, with this demon-possessed person. And he cast this demon out, so spiritually there's something going on there, too. And so you see the systems of Jesus are being pulled on and being depleted. So, verse number 29, when they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew, and Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a the fever. They told Jesus about her. So Jesus went to her, took her hand and helped her up, and the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. And so he goes to Peter's house, and Peter's like, Jesus, I have this problem. My mother-in-law is sick, and Jesus is like, okay, I will help you. Well, from Sabbath morning and from this experience, With Peter, the word gets out, and by verse number 32, that evening after sunset the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed, basically in the village there, and the whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. This is quite a day, isn't it? Jesus has had to do a lot, and it started out as the Sabbath, and I wonder if it started out that he was just going to go to the synagogue and maybe say a few words. But the day didn't end up the way that maybe he even had in mind when he started. And he kept having these demands that came, and these demands kept depleting him because Jesus, even though he was fully God, lived life as fully man, 100%. And so the Sabbath, which was supposed to be restful, becomes anything but restful for Jesus. And I think about this, and I was even as I was looking at that this week, do you remember the story in the, in the uh, Gospels when the woman with, with the bleeding disorder comes and touches Jesus? And Jesus turns around and says, Who touched me? Because he felt the power going out of him. Even when Jesus was healing people, there was some level of depletion That was happening when that was going on. So Jesus gets to the end of this day, and it doesn't say this, I'm just guessing. He's gotta be worn out. But if you get, if you jump down to verse number 20 or 38, the next morning Jesus is like, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there. That's why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, driving out demons, and I would assume healing people again. But what happens between verse number 34 and verse number 38 is super, super important. First of all, I would assume, because Jesus was human, he went back and he went to bed. But then it tells us in verse number 35, and this is key, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. So Jesus is exhausted, probably emotionally, probably um, relationally, probably mentally, certainly physically, certainly spiritually. He gets some rest, but he stops the rest part physically and goes and finds a solitary place where he can get alone with God, and where I believe he can spiritually rehydrate so let 's get uh, uh, make a few observations here. First of all, the reality of life is that we get depleted. We have to give out. We can't help it. You came to church this morning, you walked in here, you used physical energy. Right now, if you're paying attention, you're using mental energy to track with me. All right? You are, if you were involved in the singing, maybe even emotionally, you were engaged. We get depleted. We can't help that. Even Jesus got depleted. And the fact that you may be sitting here depleted today is not condemnation of you. It's just a statement of the state that you are in. Secondly, high expectations plus high demands plus high needs equal high depletion. And oftentimes in life, we have high expectations that are put on us, whether it's in a role we find ourselves at home or maybe at work, and even sometimes at church. Sometimes we have high demands. A, a big project will come out at work or, or maybe you'll be going through something in your house uh, that, that's a financial stress or maybe there's just a lot of activity that's going on or maybe it's high needs that you're facing and where just a situation is really requiring a ton of attention and acquire a, a ton of emotional equity that you've got. Those things are going to lead to high depletion. There's nothing wrong with those things, and you may not even be able to step away from those things. It's just the the facts. It's just the way things are. In fact, some of you have just gone through an extremely high demand situation called Christmas. Does anybody find Christmas restful? Uh, Maybe. That would be ideal, wouldn't it? And if you do, we've got the solution for that. We call it walk through Bethlehem. So not only have you been going through these high expectations at home and high demand and and high depletion, we turn around and we do it to a church and that's fine. And none of these things are wrong or bad. It just leaves us in a state that leads to dryness if we're not careful about it. So the greater the demands, the greater the need for spiritual hydration. So while physical hydration is important, so is spiritual hydration And here's the point. Verse number 38 where Jesus goes to the next town is not going to happen unless verse number 35 happens first. There is a limit to how far you can push yourself before you start to do damage. We know that physically, but that's also true spiritually. There's a limit you can push yourself where you need to do something about spiritual rehydration. So here, spiritual hydration is simply this. It takes place when we connect with God. Now, immediately our minds go to something, especially if we've been a Christ follower for a while and, and been in church. and It's like when... Um, we talk about this like, oh, know, yeah, I need to do my devotions, and we use that term devotions, and it comes from somewhere in the past. That's how I show my devotion to God is I spend time with God. Or sometimes we talk about it as our quiet time, just our time when we can get alone and, and read our Bible and pray. Um, sometimes we refer to it as spiritual disciplines. Not my favorite, um, not my favorite description of it because it just sounds like it's something I'm making myself do, and it seems like it should be something more than that. But we have this thing, okay, so you say spiritual hydration, so I need to spend more time reading my Bible and praying. Yes and no. So follow with me here, because it goes a lot deeper than this. The problem is, too many times we reduce those things, reading your Bible, praying, Scripture, memory, meditation, journaling, whatever, we reduce those things to ritual, and we lose the relationship in the process, and it becomes something that we do. And the problem is, we're already doing too much. That's why we're exhausted, right? I've used this illustration before, but I want to use it again here today because I think it's it's helpful. And William, I think you're up there on the uh, deck there. If you can help advance these slides a little bit for me, I would appreciate it. This is us. We start this day, okay, and we have to go to work. And so I go to work, and while I'm at work, I have to do, put out all this energy, and it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm getting depleted here, but the good news is at least it's, it's for something that's, that's profitable there. And so I fill up my, my my work bottle. And then... Well, of course, I'm married, and because I'm really concerned about my marriage, I am doing re-engage as well, okay? And uh, so I go to, I talk about my marriage, and I, you know, spend some time. We go on a date, whatever like that, and I pour into my marriage, and that's important because this is important to me. And then, of course, I've got, well, my friends, and, you know, everybody knows we should have friends, and I, I, my friends are important. I don't want to lose track of my friends. So I pour into my friends here, okay, a little bit there. And then I've got, oh, Dad, don't forget about my... Oh kids, gosh, that's a lot bigger than that bottle right there, isn't it? And so I pour into my kids a little bit more here, okay, now, do you notice I, I'm getting a little low here but but you know it's getting late in the day, so I'll just keep going here um then, oh, what else do we got? Oh, school, you know maybe it's you're a student or maybe you've gone back to school or or, or maybe you're doing your kid' science fair project, yeah, okay, so we've got this school thing going on then, okay what Oh, we've got, what is that? We've got, oh, volunteering. Yeah, we, we don't forget about volunteering. we got to help out with the school. And we, anything else we got there? Oh, we don't have room for anything. Oh, you know, well, we're going to get rid of our friends, okay? We don't need friends anymore. What, what are we going to put in this place? Church. Okay, so we're going to go ahead, and we're going to go, and we're going to pour into church here too. And... How could I have forgotten this? God, right? We've got this God bottle and we need to pour into this. Okay? Let me just tell you. We don't pour into the God bottle. Okay? Here's what this looks like. God pours into us. And we talk about these devotion things. Oops. And we have this picture in our mind that I'm going to pour into my God bottle. So it's just one more thing to put on my to-do list and I don't have time for that, but i got to find time for that or, or else I'm going to be, you know, whatever. And we miss the point. The point is that when I am depleted, I need to be filled. And the person who fills me is God himself. And when we see it that way, it stops being a ritual and it starts to be a relationship. And yes, I'm going to read my Bible because I want to hear what God has to say. But I'm not just reading my Bible because it's a habit and yes i'm going to pray because i want to talk to the god who can refill me and renew me and restore me and i'm not doing my christian duty i'm not making a big sacrifice and giving god time in my life i'm not doing him a favor by showing up with my little devotion booklet or my growth guide i'm coming to him and saying i am depleted And there's nothing wrong with that. Life depletes us. But saying, God, please pour into me. And connection is the key. So spiritual hydration makes us better in our soul, but it also makes us better in our lives. Because remember, we're interconnected. So when I get filled up spiritually... It helps my relationships. It may even help me in my emotional life. It may help me in my rational life. And it's certainly going to help me think better, right? In all those different directions. So hydration is the key to overcoming soul dryness. We get hydration in the physical world, but we miss it spiritually. And when we do, it puts our soul at risk. And that dryness leads to brittleness. And that dryness leads to disinterest. And that dryness leads to apathy. And that dryness pushes us in other directions because everything's interconnected and everything's screaming for hydration. Well, let's get completely practical, okay, as we finish up here this morning. What is the key element that relationships work on? They work on this idea of time. And so let me encourage you this week to do one of two things, to take one of two challenges. In this bottle of water that you got here this morning, I want you to use this as a prompt. So if you drank it, fine, fill it back up, put the lid back on it. If you haven't had anything on it, just leave it closed up, all right, for this week. But take that bottle of water that you and put it somewhere that's going to be a reminder to you that I need to connect with God so that he can pour back into my life and into my story. So the first way you can do that is the big gulp. The big gulp is simply this. Take the time that you normally would spend with God or in your devotions, whatever. Refocus, reframe. So we're thinking, okay, connection here. But take that time and like double it. So if it's five minutes, make it 10 this week. If it's 10 minutes, make it 20 this week. Right, It's going to push you into areas where you're not comfortable because it's out of the routine. But I want you to get out of the routine this week where you can just say, hey, I want to experience God. I want to pray. That's fine. I want to talk to God. I want to hear from God. I'm going to read the Bible. Maybe I'm going to read more than I typically read. But where we actually expand that time. And you might want to add journaling to this or you might want to add meditation to this. But the idea is to take a bigger chunk of time than you usually do. Okay, so extend it or double it or whatever. If you're already at, you know, 12 and a half hours, you probably can't double it. But whatever you're doing, extend that so you are deliberately saying, God, I need to be hydrated. The other idea is, oops, quick sips here. Less time maybe in one sitting, but more sips along the way. They tell you to do this, right? Take your water bottle to work and drink it all day long. Take your water bottle with you and don't necessarily drink it if you need to. But every time you take a sip, be reminded of the fact that, oh, I can connect with God right here in this moment. And maybe it's while you're at work and saying, oh God, and it's just a quick prayer, thank you for loving me so much. Or maybe it's just a verse that you've written out that you can go back to. Or maybe it's just something where you can meditate on something that, that you're working on in your life. But where you, several times throughout the course of your day, take a quick sip. Go back to the source of hydration. But either way, you have to take time. So this morning, if you come and your soul is dry, here's a solution. It's hydration. And it's connecting with God who desperately wants to pour back into you. And it's following the example of Christ who was depleted through no fault of his own, but knew that the way to be restored, even physically, mentally, emotionally, the way that to be restored was to go back to the Father. And so let's go back to the Father this week.